0: Well, you certainly know how to compliment a woman. tell if you'll excuse me.
1: Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do.
0: I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal.
1: Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. Ten. Nine. Seven, six,
2: five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hi, my name's Julian Leach. I'm co-founder and CEO at Parcel Point, and my Friday would not be complete without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. is Friday Game Changers taking your business to the next level
3: coming up on Kisses Friday Game Changers
2: you treat someone
4: as if they're at the level of what they're presenting they become or stay at that level or become worse and if you treat them as if they're who they are capable of becoming they in fact become that and also the the uh, <laughs> Conduct and merit of yourself is your north star, your driving force, not the opinions that other people have about your conduct and merits.
2: I'm Brian Stalley, founding partner of Wildcat Venture Partners.
0: Hey, Tanja Lee here, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a leadership and mindset specialist for real estate and property professionals. Hi, I'm Jonathan from Amplify. Hi, I'm Johnny Cole, CEO of Payback Phone UK.
5: I'm Kenneth Haffianyo, the founder of Jogwefa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta Region, Ghana. My Friday is never the same without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers.
1: Welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers
0: with your host, Kizzy Nkwotja,
4: a show for innovators and motivators, people just like you. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine and the property investor, editor of the successful Women
0: in Business book series and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Listen, learn, and innovate. Now meet your host, your mentor, and your fellow game-changer, Kizzy Nkwotja. Number one means you're always on top. You, 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 you're on the number one. Number one.
3: Hello and welcome to Kids' Friday Game Changers. This week I'm joined by mediator and therapist Pamela Garba. Now Pamela's been credited with creating a game-changing behavior modification program called Playing the Tape, which has been used in residential and outpatient treatment programs with remarkable results. You're going to want to listen to this conversation. In just a few minutes, I'll be talking to Pamela to uncover her secret of success. Don't go away.
0: Hi, hey, this is Ray in. Hi, I'm Jamie Martin from Ideal Shopping Direct. I'm
2: Kate Bell, founder of Zip Us In.
0: Hi, my name is Eric aide I'm a co-founder of Seaborg
1: Technologies.
2: Hi, I'm Katie Farrell, transformation coach, founder of The Catalyst for
1: Life. Hey, everybody, I'm David Frangioni, CEO and co-founder of All Access IDA, Inspire and Develop Artists, and you're listening to Kizzy's
3: Friday Game Changer. Check it out. Welcome to the show. This week, I have the honor and privilege to break bread with mediator and therapist Pamela Garba. But before we jump into today's conversation, I've been asked to remind you that Business Game Changer Magazine and Work From Home Game Changer Magazine are updating their groundbreaking book, providing valuable insight, advice, and analysis on what the coronavirus means for business sectors and how we can adapt to the changes it brings. The book Running a business in times of crisis. That's a very apt title is an essential guide for business owners looking to survive and maintain their profitability during and after the uncertainty of the coronavirus. Now, if you want to contribute a chapter to running a business in times of crisis, email we are game changers at outlook.com. That address one more time is we are game changers at outlook.com. That's it. Job done. And the bills have been paid. Pamela, it's amazing to have you join me. Ah, oh, thank you, Kissy. The pleasure is all mine. The pleasure is all mine. Um, let Let's start at the very beginning. Now you studied film production at the Film Actors Lab in uh, Texas. So, if you'd been a hell of a lot older than you are now, you'd have been rubbing shoulders with the likes of uh, Daryl Cox, uh, Benton Jennings from uh, Trouble Is My Business, and a, a fantastic film, and Lou Diamond Phillips. But your background includes over 20 years in private practice providing psychotherapy to individuals, couples, and families dealing with depression. Now, Pamela, 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 (laughs) why did you choose therapy and mediation against a a high-flying, glitzy career in filmmaking?
4: Yeah, I was blessed to study at the... at the Film Actors Lab in in Los Colinas, and you mentioned some pretty key names that that came from our school. Uh, it was an absolute blessing. I learned a lot about characters and character development. I was there as a writer, and I, I love writing. And uh, despite how much I love writing. Uh, I wanted to be able to write checks at the time and have them clear and was thinking, I mean, this is back, um, you know, just before uh, 21, 22. And I was looking for uh, something a little more concrete and tangible. That was also uh, a career that offered, offered me a feeling of integrity, something where I could, could benefit others and do so in a way that felt, Um, Honest and sincere, but also provide me a lifestyle that was secure.
3: There's a famous saying that the only form of writing that's guaranteed to make you money are ransom
4: notes. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Yeah, that's that's, very true. So uh, I thought, well, what do I know? I know um, people in terms of really understanding a person, a character, uh, what makes them. I'm trying to think of another way to say what makes them tick, but what makes them tick and what also could be their greatest undoing. And I also understood the, the concept of therapy, that it was somebody's one phone call. You know, you make that appointment, and oftentimes it's the the last resort for you to get that first appointment. And I knew all that well from my own background and having been in therapy for many years. And knowing character development and knowing therapy and knowing the good, the bad of therapy, I knew that it was a guarantee that I could put all that together and at a minimum offer something that was, that, that met my criteria of offering something that, that felt tangible and safe and secure for me and also something that I could um, provide to others that could be beneficial. So that was... Um, Th- that, that was, that was my decision. And then that, be- then the, you know, being a therapist became my North star.
3: I'm just thinking that, that a career as a therapist, it's, it's not really a job, is it? It's more of a, of a, a vocation because you can't really walk away from it when the clock hits five o'clock.
4: Well, it depends. I always tell people now, at least maybe not many years ago, um, uh, But now I say that I'm not a therapist when I'm out and about or something. And then I explain that, well, I'm a therapist from this time to this time and that I'm not Uh, you know, outside of those hours at a party or in a date or something that I'm not a therapist. But I think what I really mean by that is I don't want anyone else to think that I'm a therapist, but of course I'm going to take everything. And, you know, people say, oh, are you analyzing me? And I always say how cliche that sounds. And that's, but I guess the truth is I I probably am. I just don't want anyone to be aware of it maybe, but not analyzing in any way. I'm half joking, but not in any way. um, I'm not in therapy mode 24 seven and I'm not really analyzing, you know, you just take information in about a person and you notice things. I think that's more from having been around actors where you notice someone's mannerisms or choices and things from what they eat or drink or wear or facial expressions. And, you know, you it's just being observing in your environment.
3: Right. Okay. So between the hours of nine to five, <laughs> you're analyzing after five you're being observant.
4: Yeah. And more than analyzing, I'm validating. And I think that if I had one sort of, if there's the box of Crayola crowns, uh, we have Crayola here in in the good old USA, but in the box of crowns with the primary colors, um, the crown that I'm coloring with or the color that I use would be validation. That's If I had to abandon everything else, including analyzing, it's validation. Although you have to comprehend what you're validating. So I guess it's, I guess the crayons say we're all intertwined. But validation is, validation is absolutely key.
3: Validation is a cornerstone. That's the pin, that's what you're, that's what you're focused on more than analyzing and, and, and offering ideas on what people can do to move forward. It's, it's more to do with validation.
4: Validation in terms of what I Say or convey in my own mannerisms, but I can't validate what I'm not understanding. So I do have to. For some reason, the word analyze always was always a bother. But but they did call it analysis at one time. So yeah, I mean, I certainly do need to analyze and understand who I'm dealing with and what their circumstances are first before I can validate. So it's a, I guess, uh, you know, analyzing and then validating. But in terms of what the conversation looks like it's it's validating obviously i talk a lot less than i am right now um at least hope so <laughs> but but validating
3: see i'm thinking that i could have been a therapist cuz i have a personal philosophy i mean who who has a personal philosophy nowadays but i have i have a personal philosophy that it's better it's usually better to try to understand before trying to make myself understood. That seems to be the same sort of thing, isn't it?
4: Definitely. You you want to understand what life is like for the other person, what they mean by what they're saying. And actually this gets back to acting again, the subtext, you know, the subtext of what they're saying, not just the words, you know, but the real meaning of the words and where they're coming from, what life feels like for them and why they're talking to you.
3: Okay, but the time you spent at the Film Actors Lab wasn't entirely wasted because you went on to create a program called Playing the Tape, which won the award for Best Short in the Palm Beach Film Festival back in 2006. What is Playing the Tape, and why is it so important?
4: Oh, yeah, and just to clarify, too, um, yeah, not a minute was wasted there um, at the Film Lab. It was a lifeline for me. Uh, The... The man who ran the school, created it, Adam Rourke, uh, was just a, a, a gem, just an absolute gift from God to um, the students there. He was just a, just a, an absolute treasure and a lifeline. Uh, there's a saying that, in fact, he was probably the best therapist um, that I had ever worked with, even though, of course, technically that wasn't therapy but it was, and there's a saying that I'm going to butcher the hell out of right now, but it has to do with if you treat someone, um, and I'm sure you know the saying, but if you treat someone, uh, like where they are, who they are, if you treat someone as if they're at the level of what they're presenting, they become or stay at that level or become worse. And if you treat them as if they're who they are capable of becoming, they in fact become that. And that was, um, one day, I really ought to look up the phrase to be able to say it a little more crisply. But um, but that was Adam. He saw me as someone who I was capable of becoming, and it was he, he working with him was a lifeline for me at the time. Learned a lot about production, and um, y- yeah, the playing the tape d- definitely uh, I drew from that experience working with him. And I drew from first-person narrative, which in terms of writing, my favorite style in reading others' work and in writing myself is first-person narrative. And I was dealing with working with clients who had, who were addicts. Uh, drug and alcohol addiction was their presenting problem. Not all of the clients I was working with, but a lot, a lot of them. And I, you know, here it's, well, everywhere, it's framed as a disease. Most people believe in the disease model, the medical model for addiction. And I did not, I don't see myself as an addiction therapist. I'm not, I'm not. Well, my greatest asset is being able to understand people's point of view. So addiction was just one facet, one um, population within other populations I was working with. And I saw how, how addiction was like other problems in life, but Addiction is just so much easier to illustrate. Illustrate how uh, ironic it is that a few split seconds in a person's life can literally be a game changer in someone's entire life and in the lives of others around them. Few tiny pivotal moments, and the moments there are moments and signs leading up to those few pivotal moments. There could be a year of things moving a certain way in the current, say, force of life and choices and associations and behaviors leading to these little pivotal moments. And these little pivotal moments, like in film, they seem like nothing. You know, you think of Marlon Brando, just, um, there's a scene in The Godfather where he just moves his hand ever so slightly. And it's, it's the I think the, one of the best scenes, I mean, ever, every scene is the best scene in Godfather, but um, moves his hand ever so slightly and it just means so much. And in addiction, relapse is just a short span of time, the second before. And I wanted to make a movie that showed the irony between the ratio of someone's full life and all the people in their life. And then these little seconds of time, and if there was a way to just reroute the way you would—you're getting all my metaphors now—but the way you would someone who's taking the wrong exit off of a highway, and they could just somehow make a U-turn. The slight, slight rerouting in that tiny, tiny moment would have such an impact on the lives of of you know the, the person at hand, and then and then so many other people.
3: I'm just wondering about these little pivotal moments that you're talking about. How? how do we, how are we aware of these, these because you say that sometimes it's not just one moment but it could be a number of tiny things that happen spread over a couple of years, and so it must be quite difficult to be aware of these tiny pivotal moments and the impact that they could have on our future
4: yeah, completely, and not just with addiction, I just feel like addiction is the um the strongest to highlight it. Just because of the nature of addiction. I guess it could be gambling also or any type of behavior like that. But even in relationship choices, uh, it's amazing how, uh, how camouflaged everything could be, how um, perfumed, you know, things could just seem like regular life changes. And you think that you are accepting this job or moving to this state or marrying this person or, and it all feels like a flow of, regular life choices that's appropriate and logical and linear, but really it's the wrong exit on a highway and all of these choices are actually, uh, they all belong under the same umbrella, (laughs) which... I'd have to think for another name, because the name that I think, you know, wouldn't be one I would say on an interview, but they would all fall under an umbrella, you know, not a, obviously not a good name. And, and you think that they're just regular life choices, but they're not, they're leading up to a pivotal moment.
3: So this playing the tape, it helps people to identify those pivotal moments. And presumably it helps them then, would it help them to make better decisions in the future because they're more conscious of the impact these tiny decisions will have on them?
4: Well, because I did the first one on addiction, uh, addiction, I guess, is a little different and in a way is not a little different. So the, the essence of playing the tape is to expect the pivotal moment, expect it and prepare for it, know it when it's there. And I'll give you an example of that. I know in the military, there are set behaviors that set plans like when there's a certain a certain situation you automatically have a corresponding behavior and you don't think but you have this behavior in place and the reason for that is because you you don't want the goal is to prevent someone from having to assess things and think while they're in the middle of, of a traumatic Uh, or or danger, or something that needs urgency. You can't think straight to analyze something, so you want to have it planned in advance. I'm a runner. I run outside a lot. Whenever there's a car that is crossing my path. Even if the car waves me over, I have a default behavior, which is just to run the opposite direction, let the car go. And and the reason I do that is because I don't want to be in a situation where I'm analyzing, oh, did the car see me? Did it not? Did it this? Did it not? I do some deep thinking when I run or when I run with friends, it's a conversation. I don't want to analyze that, especially if it's early in the morning And so the playing the tape, the same thing, when you get to that pivotal moment and you see that, okay, well, I'm dialing a number that I should not be dialing. I'm driving in a neighborhood where I do not belong. I am, you automatically, once you are aware of it, you automatically have a default behavior. I call this person, I go here, I do this, I pray, I all the above. And it's without thinking, it's already set up in place.
3: Okay, so it sounds as though it's, it's all about being able to rewire your brain so that you make automatic decisions without having to waste any time at all thinking about them.
4: Yeah, it's a commitment in your brain. It's a commitment. It's just a mature, sober commitment that when in, you know, break break glass, you know, when in emergency, this is what I do. When this, this is what I do. Um, but with addiction, and I was thinking, you know, I guess it's not so different than everything else, but addiction in particular, it's so easy to see that you, it's necessary to live a lifestyle that minimizes the likelihood of these severe pivotal moments. Not that everyone is, isn't is severe, but one beautiful thing about a recovery life is that it requires ongoing maintenance, and so others who who don't have that disease um, can sometimes talk themselves out of doing the work that is needed to get through these crazy times and just life in general.
3: I guess it's all a, a work in progress. Um, let's talk about the here and now. Um, a lot's been said about the financial costs of the pandemic, but what's rarely ever discussed is the psychological impact of lockdown and isolation. Uh, Pamela, from your perspective as a therapist or an analyst or a human behaviorist, or even just somebody who's super observant, what impact has the pandemic had on us emotionally and psychologically?
4: I mean, all the usual that you hear in terms of the isolation, the the pain of isolation, but... And there's volume set on that, but there's a dependency now on information from television, radio, wherever people are getting their news online, and and there's a compliance with the information that's actually more like what I was saying about how I am when a car is approaching and I'm running, or the military. There's just sort of a there's there's a lot of automatic compliance without the critical thinking first. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, this might be a little different than the direction you mean, but um, but we're losing our identity to think and assess situations on our own. And there's a lot of just, um, there's a lot of compliance and more groupthink versus individual think. So there's isolation. And then at the same time, groupthink. And it could even be that people are geared to groupthink so easily suggestible you know, the whole world becomes one big TV commercial. And they're so suggestible, perhaps in part because they want to connect with others and it's a way of unifying in some ways. I mean, that's not all bad, but there's a lot of freedom being lost in this in the pandemic also. So it's the isolation and the loss of freedom.
3: So when you talk about groupthink, what role does social media play with this, in this then?
4: Well, in theory, we have two different types of well oh, so social media as opposed to news okay so i mean social media can offer a lot of support in a way social media can offer validation and people can connect with others who who share views and and that can be healthy and so so sometimes um you know so social media can help with isolation definitely i think the problem is the factors that would distinguish social media from straight news delivery is blurred so often and everything so much of news becomes an op-ed and, and in that people's emotions are, uh, so easily played like a, like a musical instrument. And, and it's being done without a lot to compete. You know, if you're hearing something, the last time I saw our country, so divided and obviously the pandemics worldwide, but in terms of, uh, In terms of our country, there was major, well, it was the OJ trial, and there was such a divisiveness. But even at that point, people were going to work so they could talk with people or they were talking with their neighbors. And uh, now people are so isolated, and then they get social media, or then they get news that's manipulative, and and there's nowhere to go with it. People are alone more than ever.
3: Isn't it the reality that um, questioning Things that you see online, questioning things that you read um, on the screen requires a great deal of effort. And that goes back to what you were saying before about having um, uh, rewiring your brain so that you're aware. Of those tiny decisions that you make that could have a huge impact, because I think it's easy for us to just accept what we're exposed to, uh, what we're what we see on on Facebook or on Twitter, and it, it requires much more of an effort to actually sit down and ask ourselves what are the chances that this is true or this is accurate, because that's a lot of work, isn't it?
4: Well, right, but if there's if if you're isolated. And then there's an intense pressure to see things a certain way. And you're led to believe that if you don't see it that way, that you might as well be, you know, the antichrist. Then then there's just a, a lot of psychological pressure. There's a, you know, certainly it adds intensity to a situation that's already intense. And it wears down to, there's such a risk of being demonized if you don't see things a certain way. And that is a powerful force also. Obviously, a different kind of power than than the virus, but but it's a powerful force. And then you have that along with isolation, and our lives no longer being. Uh, in our hands, what we do, where we work, if we go to the office, if we don't, all of this, so much external control. It's, it, the combination of all of those ingredients is a risky recipe.
3: I agree with you completely. Absolutely. Um, I remember when I was a kid, we, um, we. I remember reading a book called 1984 by a guy uh-huh. called George, or- remember George Orwell, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It's Definitely, Fantastic, fantastic book. I mean, but um, in, in George Orwell's uh, depiction of some dystopic future, um, everything would be controlled by a, a small group of individuals and nobody would have any information and you couldn't find out anything and you had to rely on whatever this small group told you um, for you to make a decision. And in fact, as life has transpired, all oh, got it upside down because at the moment... Everybody has access to information. We can find out pretty much anything we want at the, by just clicking a few buttons. But guess what? We're still in the dark. We still don't have any idea what's going on.
4: Yeah, I was laughing. I was going to try to make some witty joke about not directly knowing George Orwell. But uh, you <laughs> know, but, uh, so, so, but yeah, I well, I, I, do, I do think that a lot of the information is being edited, I guess, because I'm getting information that the information's being edited. So, you know, to your point also, I mean, there's still information out there. There's information telling us the information isn't any good. So at least that's there. <laughs> this is crazy. And, yeah, I was telling someone the other day, love is hate, and they they weren't familiar with 1984. So I explained uh, word speak and thought crime.
3: I remember that. So, so great minds do think alike then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I think we can all relate to that, but let's hold that thought. We're going to take a quick music break and come back to our conversation in a few minutes. Uh, this week's incredibly talented business person, this week's boss star is Palab Sarka. I hope I pronounced it right. Palab Palab Sarkar who's the founding director of a London-based Apollo Strategic Communications. Now, Apollo is a communications agency which specializes in helping elite companies, organizations, and individuals engage with their target audience but when he's not making, moulding and mobilising public opinion Palab picks up a pen and microphone and produces nothing short of, well, sheer magic Here he is, Palab Sarkar performing Not Gonna Fall In Love With You
1: My heart is open every day But when I first saw you I couldn't keep my eyes away You stopped and asked me a question I really didn't know what to say I should have walked away right then I decided
0: to stay
2: I'm Brian Stolley, founding partner of Wildcat Venture Partners Hey
0: Tanja Lee here, all the way from Melbourne, Australia I'm a leadership and mindset specialist for real estate and property professionals Hi, I'm Jonathan from Amplify Hi, I'm Johnny Cole, CEO of Payback Phone UK I'm
5: Kenneth Haffianu, the founder of Jogwefa, An ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta Region, Ghana My Friday is never the same without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers
1: So on a bike ride and we laughed all the way home You told me your secrets and how you sometimes feel alone So I picked up the pieces while you were shivering to the bone I got a little drunk that night and called you on the phone about you every day and every night. Don't you think it's funny that I knew you first sight? And even though my heart tells me this is true, I'm not gonna fall in love. Chance. And everyone's telling me to
0: have a little romance I'm Asara La, Chief Explorer at Cat Explorer And I love listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers And I
1: know what happens next A lot of pain and heartache Silly breaking up text So I'm not gonna fall in love with you, with you, with you.
2: Get in touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday
1: Game Changers. Don't you think it's funny that I knew you at first sight? And even though my heart tells me this is true, I'm not gonna fall in love with you,
0: with you, with you. This, is this is Friday, Friday Game Changers Elevator Pitch of the, of the week. week.
2: Please stand back from the closing doors. Please select a level
1: going up. Hi, I'm Hayden, co-founder
3: of Zero Relief, an Australian family business. Z is
2: the first 100% natural product range to contain the unique
5: therapeutic benefits of Australian Kunzi oil, Tasmania's best kept natural secret. Kunzi
3: cream is the most popular product in the Zero Relief range. It may help arthritis, muscle pain, joint swelling and inflammation. With thousands of five-star reviews, we are so proud and grateful that we can help people across the world live a pain-free life. Visit us at Zerelief.com. Top Floor, Good Luck
0: Kizzy's Friday
2: Game Changer Book of the Week
0: Hi, my name is Donna Burton I'm better known as Donna the Astronomer I'm from Coonabarabran in New South Wales where I operate an astro-tourism business and training other people also to incorporate night sky tourism I'd like to recommend Rachel Allen's book Authentic Dynamic Savvy It's an incredible book on marketing. It's also by an incredible author whose authenticity comes out. The book is easy to read, easy to follow. It's good for people who are just starting out in business as well as people who've been in business for a while. Yes, you can read it from front to back or you can do what I did and jump in at sections that seem relevant to you at the time and then go back over it all. I like the fact she also includes a link to her free marketing plan template which is incredibly useful as well. Rachel's writing is very simple to read for a business book. It doesn't tie you up with a lot of jargon. Ideas rule the world is probably the one that sticks out to me the most, or the, the quote I enjoy the most from it because it's so true. And I've actually written it on a sticker on the front of my journal. But there is so much in this book, and the reason I'm recommending it is because I think that to have a young Australian writer producing a book of this calibre in a world where there's so much that comes out of the States and overseas is really, really good. Her research is there, her authenticity is there, the easy to read is there and the downright practical skills to help you market a business in a world that's getting, that's always changing. The fundamentals stay the same from dealing with the right type of customers to different types of marketing. It's not specific and it will last through the changes that we all go through in marketing. Thank you very much for this opportunity to recommend the book. Hi, this is Sandra Spataro, co-CEO and co-founder of Inspirecore. My Friday wouldn't be the same without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers.
3: Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Palab Sarkar, founding director of London-based Apollo Strategic Communications. And Palab was singing a great track that I've been humming all bleeding day. It's called Not Gonna Fall In Love With You. And I'm in the studio talking to mediator and therapist, Pamela Garba. Now, Pamela, you were one of the contributors to the book Insiders Know How, Running Your Own Business. And your chapter, I love this chapter, it's all about merit and conduct In the workplace, that you discuss the issue of handling poor behavior from co workers or supervisors. Pamela, why is merit and conduct so important to you?
4: That's the foundation of a company or organization. The mission, the goals of the organization are met through the efforts of everyone on the team to further the goal. You know, not unlike sports. A, t- a team in sports, and so the, the measuring post for all of this—the uh, the, the way you get a read on on everything, the cohesiveness of the team and the productivity—is through the actions of the players.
3: Okay, and so this idea of um, being aware of merit and conduct—is it something that should be I don't know—the responsibility of managers and supervisors, or do we all have a role to play?
4: I like the second part. I believe the second part. We all have a role to play. Uh, I, Ideally, the higher-ups are better um, prepared to further the goals of the organization when they focus on that, also on merit and conduct, as opposed to so many other things that could be detours and counterproductive, at a minimum counterproductive, and at worst, result in termination of employment or or even legal problems or various crises
3: very wise words and i, I couldn't agree with you more um, i think it sounds it does sound like something that could be quite easily overlooked especially bearing in mind everything that's going on around us but because we are working together whether it's remotely or in the same environment i think merit and conduct is what helps us work together as a team because everybody treats everybody else with the same respect that they expect and deserve. Right, exactly. Um, we're at the um, past, present and future part of the show. Now, don't panic. What this means <laughs> is that I'm going to ask you three simple questions about your business past, your business present and your future. And if we get this right, if we get this right, the answers will give us a unique insight into the mind of game changer, Pamela Garba. Are you game yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's have some fun. So um, if you need to stretch, um, have a sandwich, just relax, <laughs> uh, okay. sit down, and put your feet up. Um, you've I guess you've done this a few more times than I have. But look, Pamela, what, what I want you to do, I want you to imagine you can hear a clock ticking in the background. That's the sound of time passing by second after second. Imagine yourself traveling back in time to meet the young Pamela Garber, just starting out on her game-changing business journey. Now, I like Pamela because Pamela likes to ask questions. She asks you for one habit that will make her more productive in business. What do you tell her?
4: Mm. Focus on self more than others. The uh, contact and merit of yourself is your north star, your driving force, not the opinions that other people have about your conduct of merit.
3: That's a pretty powerful advice there. And I'm wondering, is this something that um, relates to having confidence in yourself? Because if you, if you don't have that confidence in yourself, it's going to be pretty difficult to withstand the force of other people's opinions.
4: Definitely. I'm actually writing something, uh, working on a book about custody of oneself. And it's even a step beyond confidence. It's custody. I think that there are traps in life, obviously many traps in life, and not having enough confidence is a trap. But a step beyond that, when you are too willing to turn over custody, it's a a dangerous force to let other people really have a say in your decision-making process. Um, you know, there's, there's huge risks with that. And the the challenging thing with that is that it's a balance. And again, recovery is a perfect metaphor because that there, the whole system, which is based on Jungian psychology has to do with involving others and seeking guidance. It's a tough balancing act, a really tough balancing act, but it's, it's essential.
3: I'm wondering now, if we went back, say 20 years uh, into the past and we met the young Pamela Garber. Would she have suffered from this lack of confidence, or or would the lack of custody of of for herself is that something? Was that an issue for you back then?
4: Definitely, the lack of confidence was a byproduct of the lack of custody, and that's. I uh, I mean I, it sounds so cliche, but I grew up in a broken home, and those wounds that take place during the formative years, ah uh, well. They highlight why we have the formative years. You know, they're not the formed years. They're the formative years. They're called that for a reason. And, and they, those years are, are vital to helping someone establish a, a sense of self. And psychology, one of the great words for it is individuation. And certainly in business, what you're dealing with on a personal life trickles down to what you deal with in business. Do you think
3: that um, successful business people, successful game changing business people have that quality in common? The fact that they take custody of for themselves, that they define their own rules and they decide that when the biography of their life has been written, they want to make sure that they're holding the pen.
4: Oh, I like that that they want to make sure they're holding the pen. Yeah. Uh, they have custody of themselves. That's, they define themselves. They're defining themselves. No one else is defining them. They're defining themselves. And, uh, you know, in terms of our president, he's defining himself and powerful people do, uh, define themselves. Again, it's a balancing act, be, you know you, you could take someone who is in the middle of armed robbery and you could say that persons defining you know I mean everything is nuanced and there's challenges and everything but but um trying to think on the spot the right way to differentiate the boat uh, you know it's it, there's logical parameters that someone who is working towards tangible goals when they're meeting those goals they're defining themselves and and there's a lot I could say about you know, in terms of the goals of of the way things are um, in our political system, of course we, the, you is is you know the country is like a business on a lot of levels, and there are tangible goals. The difference, because someone could make the argument, uh, I've been around too many lawyers as of late. Maybe sort of, maybe not. So you look at you look at the trajectory combined with the way someone defines takes ownership of themselves but successful people have to take ownership of themselves
3: very wise words focus on yourself more than others and take custody of oneself that's something I'm going to write on my on my computer and have it on my as my desktop wallpaper Um, actually
4: something else too you can't get across your message to all people and I tried to do that I you know, one you have to know your handicaps, and one handicap of mine, sort of how people are in golf with handicaps, which I don't play golf, but um, I drive the cart. But anyway, I I like all people, and even people who are on the in the process of making an argument against what I'm saying, to try to get a sense of of my point of view, even if they might ultimately not agree with it. And that's too far of a reach. So you want to know your handicaps. That's part of defining yourself. I can't get everyone to go along with um, what I'm saying to even give it a chance. And we live in a world where people are chopping at the bit to argue. They already have the argument formulated before you even get the next sentence out. And that's something that is a watch on me, just like a golfer would say, I have this handicap or that handicap.
3: I like that. So it's not just a case of knowing yourself. It's also knowing your handicaps because you don't want to waste too much time and effort on people who don't want to change or don't want to listen because there are a lot of people out there who do perhaps. Right, exactly. So that's the past taken care of. Let's go into the present, into the here and now. Pablo, what one achievement Business wise, are you most proud of?
4: My, my practice, uh, my practice in New York.
3: That must have been quite a moment for you when you realized you were officially a therapist. You had all the paper, you had all the validation, you had the accreditation, and you could now make an impact on the lives of others simply by talking to them and listening to them and perhaps offering insight on how to make things work.
4: Not, uh, not exactly. I actually think of it like film and I think of therapy like a, a tight shot on a camera, you know, a close up on a camera and the close up of me in my office talking with someone is fine. I mean, that feels like success. There's typically, you know, nine times out of 10, for the most part, it feels like success. You know, there's actual work taking place and and that's uh, tangible and concrete and that's good. The wider frame of what you're talking about with the office and the degree, license, what I—I I don't look at that actually. So I'm answering the question to you that what I would be the most proud of. I mean, that's the most—that's what's—that's what's there for me to give you to answer your question. But I don't look at it as wide net. I—I I don't have anything against people who who do that. But that's not me. It's just more the little little bits. That's this appointment, this person I worked with, this thing that the whole big picture and saying uh, it—it's it, not that I could see people in business being that way, I built this building, I took this hotel over and rehabbed it. And now I own, you know, the Grand Central Hyatt and I did this and I did that. I understand that mentality. That's a real wide shot. And I, therapy doesn't feel like that kind of business to me. It's just little bits.
3: It's a much more narrow focus than is it?
4: For me, I, I, yeah. And maybe for others in my field.
3: If you could have one superpower, any superpower, Pamela? What would you have?
4: The uh, superpower? <laughs> uh, wow, you got me stumped on that one. Uh, maybe the, the ability to stay consistent with optimism. Uh, you got me. I don't mean to keep talking about our president. I hope that, but he, he wrote a book called "Never Give Up." And to stay in that mode, um, to think like an entrepreneur would be—that's the superpower to have that mentality.
3: You know, that's got to be the most unusual answer we've had to to that that question. Um, A couple of months ago, I asked uh, a beautiful guy the same question, and we're very good friends even today. And I said to him, if you could have one superpower, what would you have, mate? And he said, if I could have a super sense, I'd like to have a sense of decorum. I I love that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's why I think your one—the ability to stay optimistic—that's even better because that's something that we should all, we should all have. That shouldn't we?
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: I'm um, so. I'm just writing down some notes here. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, the, yeah, to be optimistic. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're doing a, a wonderful job of maintaining that level of optimism, um, in everything you say and do. Um, but let, that's that's the present. Let's go into the future. Let's travel a hundred years into the future. Now, I might not be around. You probably will be, but I probably won't. Be. Um, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> what would you like your legacy to be? What would you like to be remembered for?
4: I would like to write something that's memorable of. Uh, <laughs> in a positive sense so um, I would like that I would like to write something whether it's yeah, um, something artistic uh, uh, that uh, in a positive sense that's memorable that leaves an impact
3: you could write a letter to me and then <laughs> right. you say how wonderful I am and I'll keep it forever this is yeah, problem solved right? <laughs> <laughs> well it's just a yeah. suggestion yeah <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a saying that if you want to speak to the future, you can't pick up a phone, you've got to pick up a pen. Is, is that what, what motivates you? The fact that you want people to know that you were here and the difference you made?
4: No, no. Just if there's anything I could contribute to the world, um, you know, we all have something, that, that would be the category that would best be my aim. I mean, I'm in, you know, there's a lot of company there. There's so certainly a lot of writers, Um, but it's certainly not going to be for my cooking. I don't sing. I don't dance. I, I sound like Rocky Balboa or his daughter maybe, but yeah, I can't sing or dance. I'm not boxing either. And anyone who was ever in a boxing class with me would attest to that. I'm not, you know, so that would be, um, th- i
3: i I, write. <laughs> like I said you've so you've definitely contributed to our world over the past half hour or so with uh, this insightful and very thought provoking conversation um I've got a note here on my screen, and it's flashing saying that we have gone way past oh. our allocated time which we kind of knew that we were going to anyway, but um, before we do go and wrap up, I want to say, is there anybody out there that you'd like to say hello to who may be listening to our conversation?
4: Yeah. I, I have a feeling there'll be someone special listening to our conversation, but I, um, I haven't, I haven't told him about the interview. So we'll, you know, we'll see um, pending.
3: Ooh, a yeah. mystery person. Right. Exactly. Okay, this is a different conversation entirely. (laughs) This um, mystery person that may be listening to the conversation or may not be, uh, is it somebody special?
4: Um, Potentially. (laughs) I think we're all very special though.
3: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) nicely done. Thank you. (laughs) I think, um, I think we'll leave that there, actually. Um, Pamela, it's been an amazing uh, one in a million experience getting to spend this time with you on Kids' Friday Game Changers. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing insight and your wisdom.
4: Oh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you.
3: Well, the time I've spent with Pamela has taught me that mental health isn't a destination. It isn't. It's a process. It's about how you drive, not where you're going. And the truth is, if you've been listening to Pamela over the past half hour or so, you'll realize that if we start being honest about our pain, our anger, our shortcomings, our addictions, our problems, instead of pretending they don't exist, then maybe we'll leave the world a better place than we found it. This is a lesson that game changers like Pamela Gaba are teaching us every day. Listen, learn and innovate. Playing us out is 33-year-old Ghanaian entrepreneur, Kenneth Hafiano. Now, Kenneth is the founder of Zabifa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Voto region, Ghana. But when Kenneth's not training people in the fine art of batik, he's also, I'm sure you'll agree, a very, very talented musician. Here he is performing Believe in You. See you next week.
5: <laughs> Someone some can see. Some on said melody. Slim Simps give me beats. They don't wanna believe
0: in me.
2: I'm Brian Stolly, founding partner of Wildcat
0: Venture Partners. Hey, Tanja Lee, here all the way from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a leadership and mindset specialist for real estate and property professionals. Hi, I'm Jonathan from Amplify. Hi, I'm Johnny Cole, CEO of A by Phone UK. I'm Kenneth Hafianu,
5: the founder of Jobwefa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta region, Ghana. My Friday is never the same without Kizzy's Friday game changes. How can I believe in your dreams? Yeah, yeah. Je connais mes amis, mes ennemis, je connais tout ce qui m'apprécie, je connais qui ma vie. Adbiam me veigna, vénale qu'un mouilleur est ta maisois si tu connais pour nous bébé des cas. Elle a mes caro ma ouné d'ibena, demande, demande, demande. Et la bamé dans les cas. I love when I'm with you girl Me de hey a journey of a thousand will begin with a step. So get up, stand up, do something best for yourself. You can't sit always and be asking for a help. Man, put it on your knee, forgot to put it on your head. Believe in yourself and say that you can. Believe in yourself and say that you can. Believe in yourself and say that you can. We're going straight to the top. They don't wanna believe on me How can I believe in them? They don't wanna believe in me. How can I believe in them? You don't wanna believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't wanna believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't wanna believe in me. How can I believe in you? You don't wanna believe in my dreams.
3: How can I? Hi, my name's Andy Cracknell, digital awareness game changer strategist at the GC Index, and I've been a game changer. Fourteen thousand six hundred days. That's why I listen to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers.
5: They don't want to believe How can I believe in them? They don't want to believe in me. How can I believe in them? You don't want to believe
2: me. Get in touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday Game Changers.
5: How can I believe in you? You don't want to believe in my dreams. How can I believe in your dreams?